0: Love Talk Radio Radio Welcome to World Awakened at Blog Talk Radio. My name is Carrie Cannon, and I'm being joined today by Rob Scott. And today we are going to be talking about how we implement spiritual teachings into our daily lives. And um, thank you for joining me, Rob. And hopefully, my friend Ivan will be joining us very shortly. Welcome.
1: Thank you, Carrie. How are you?
0: I'm great, thanks. How are you?
1: I'm doing well.
0: So, how is it that. Um, well, first of all, I guess let me ask you how you started your your spiritual um, practice, your quest like how did you get on the path
1: sure um, you know my my path came from uh being amazingly dysfunctional uh early on in life i was i was uh you know sadly, this is very common for people. I was abused pretty badly as a child for a long period of time, and that left me really not feeling whole. And of course, because we all want to feel whole, I looked to different substances to, you know, quell that. I looked to uh, different behaviors that I thought were going to make me feel good. And somewhere along the way, I became very, very dysfunctional. I was homeless for a a time. I ended up uh, being very addicted to drugs and all that kind of stuff. And, And through that, I started having these higher state experiences that were shown to me and and somewhere along the way a lot of wisdom came in but it took a long time for maturity and knowledge to sort of follow that into realizing that behaving in a different way and behaving more properly and behaving more spiritually um, ends up serving me and so it's not this like an unselfish act it's a very selfish act because I still really just want to feel good I still want to do these things but I've learned that uh, giving and meditating and doing some of these things really help to feel good about ourselves and, and that that's a, a better way to live than these things that end up being really, really dysfunctional. Right. So that's a little bit of my story. And, um, you know, so what I find really important to talk about with people are, you know, how do we do this? A lot of people talk about some of these higher state experiences and and they're great and then nobody really explains like, well, what do you do? How do you, how do, you do some of that stuff? What's, what's wrong in my life that I can't get that stuff done? So I thought today it would be really interesting to talk about some of the different levels that people fall on and how kind of one teaching doesn't fit all because my next step might not be your next step, which might not be the guy next door's next step. Do you know what I mean? Yep,
0: yeah, exactly. Yeah. So um, I guess how did you – well, how how did you – I guess what was that you know, for you, like
1: as far as mm-hmm. what are the, what are some of the things that that I did? yeah, um, you know, I was lucky enough that I think it's I think trauma and and pain can be an amazing tool, and we don't often honor it as that. I think that um, you know for me it it became so painful and so dysfunctional, and not to keep using that word, but i'm I'm really interested in higher function for people. Um, it became so dysfunctional that that my brain kind of popped, you know, something opened up and said, wait, this isn't, this isn't right. And like I said, I had an understanding way before I was really able to fully implement that in my life, because part of it's a state experience. And then part of it is a stage that we need to sort of mature into and and grow into. And so I was shown these different things. And I was reading books, and I was trying to learn. Um, I'd had a very close friend of mine commit suicide, which was, you know, sent me off the deep end yet again, and, and really hurt me deeply. And you know, I was in this very, very painful spot, and all of a sudden I started realizing, wait, I, I, I need to take a little more responsibility. I need to live differently.
0: Yeah, yeah I had um, a similar, I wasn't abused, um, but I thought, I, I must have entered this life with junk. Um, I had experiences where I perceived that the things that were happening in my life were negative experiences, so I chose to, you know, interpret them that way. Mm-hmm. And I had um, I realized that I you know, as as becoming an adult, I realized that all of those experiences that I had that I perceived were hurtful were actually tools. And I think that's kind of what, what you're saying too, in that you have to, you know, sort of reach these depths and then once you do you're like, Whoa, wait a minute, you know, um, I need to take some responsibility here. And what happened with me was, um, I had a kid on the school bus every morning. Well, I, first of all, I had self-image issues from the time I was a baby. I would play sure. this so big game with my mom, like so big, sure. and sh- and I perceived that we played that game because I was so fat, not okay. big, so tall or so big or you know whatever, so growing or growing up We're right? just yeah. growing up, right? And um, and that was at one year old. Because when you play that game with babies, it's you know you're like less than a toddler. You're learning, to right. and and I also my dad used to call me pumpkin, and I thought that he called me pumpkin because I was fat, right? And I have no idea where I got these these thoughts from. Uh, I just know that I had them, and, and mm-hmm. you know you could say oh it was the media, but how much media are you really exposed to at one year old? Right. Um, so I, I don't really know where that came from, but what I did realize. As I got older, well, after I had several more experiences was that I drew all of all of those experiences to myself I had a um I was in dance and I loved to sing and my ballet teacher had told me, "Well, we were doing Russian splits one day, and those are the side to side splits and I couldn't get all the way down to the ground and she called me a fat to lard, and I was well, thinking,
1: that might change your." Yeah. <laughs> That might give I was, you a reason to think something, right?
0: But... <laughs> I was just crushed, you know, and I went home and I told my mom, and she yanked me out of ballet, and, um, you know, I was, I was, it was as if I felt exposed, you know, in that, in that ballet class, and I was only eight. Yeah. And when I was six, um, I was going on a shopping trip with a grandmother, and she asked me what I wanted to be when I grew up, and I told her I wanted to be a singer. And she said, well, if you're going to be a singer, you better be skinny because singers are skinny.
1: Oh man! <laughs> and, yeah, and
0: yeah. Um, you know, so I felt hurt by that, and at the same time, there were like Annie um, auditions going on in the city, and I was thinking, oh, you know, maybe I could do that. And my cousins were like, yeah, you could do that, Carrie. You can sing great. And then you know, here's my grandmother telling me that I have to be skinny.
1: Yeah. And
0: um, then this kid on the bus, and he's a Hollywood producer now. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, and he makes he makes he makes films that are in. Totally in alignment with the way I perceive him, so it's kind of mm-hmm. funny. Um, but he, on the school bus, every single day, he screamed fat to me on right. the bus. And that was my morning affirmation. And on top of it, I had a huge crush on this guy. I have no idea why. And um, so that, you know, the crush compounded with the, him calling me fat was really showing me all these things that I needed to heal within myself. Right. Um, to recognize myself as complete and whole because that was, that was, you know, I wasn't physically abused, but, like, I sort of was abusing myself and then I drew all of these experiences to myself to show me exactly what I was thinking.
1: Mm-hmm. Right, right. So. so I think that just shows the gambit of different ways that we can end up being traumatized and, and hurt and have things uh, mess with us. And I know that... One of the things if we're if we're going to talk about some of the tools that people can use uh, to you know help them kind of move through these stages and evolve and grow and do all that stuff, um, I think what might be common across them is learning to work with your mind, and you were talking a little bit, I think about recontextualizing how you were. Uh, taking in information, right? You yeah. don't know when it started, but you immediately sort of were perceiving that these things were really critical of you. Yeah. And um, and then obviously later they were. You know, you had mean kids, and we all have mean kids, and people right. mess with our names and what we look like and all this stuff, and even if there's nothing wrong with you, they find something wrong with you. Right. Um, and so we all have those kinds of experiences. But it's really, when we talked about responsibility as well, it's our job to sort of recontextualize that. And if we don't, you know, it's not like we have to, but if we don't, we just don't live these uh, more open, more happy, more full lives. Right. So if we sit there and end up letting our inner talk just beat us up, you know, that's one of the things that I think, and, you know, I'm a, I'm a life coach and a business consultant, and in both those roles I end up helping people recontextualize how they perceive the world and what people are saying to them and what matters and all that stuff. Mm -hmm. So do you feel that uh, working with your mind and learning how we kind of perceive things, becoming aware of some of the inner talk that we have, do you think that's an important tool?
0: Oh, very much so. Um, My book is all about that. Um, I wrote a book called Uncovering the Divine Within, and within it, um, I help people to uh, address those things. I realized... Well, after I got married, um, my husband said, why don't you quit your job and do what you really want to do, because I make so much more money than you do, just, you know, take off and figure out what you want to do. And I was like, wow, great. So um, I said to myself, if I'm going to do this, I'm going to find my life purpose. I need to find something fulfilling, not just something I'm good at doing. So I, I did a search on the internet, and this is back in 97, so... You know, there wasn't. I mean, it wasn't like it is today. Um, and I came across an article written by a man named John Snodgrass, and in that article, it said, "Whatever you perceive to be the reality of your own guilt, sin, or victimization, is the polar opposite of your special function. So, your special function is the exact polar opposite of your special function. So, what is missing is your gift." Your weakness is your strength, and your special dysfunction is your special function. And when I read that, I thought, okay, well, what's my special dysfunction?
1: And I thought, how, very, how, how very, very Taoist. Yeah.
0: I thought, well, my special dysfunction is on fat. And then I was like, no, that's not really it. And then I thought, well, I don't like myself. And I was like, eh, no, that's not really it either. And then I thought I don't love myself and when that thought occurred to me I started jumping up and down in my living room and thanking all these people that I had perceived hurt me. Right. Because they gave me the exact context that I needed to understand what was going on inside of me. And without that I wouldn't know. You can't sure. know without the experience what is going on in your mind. Right. So then after that I was I decided wow you know I I need to change the way I I think and I realized that I needed to learn how to love myself and teach other people how to love themselves through my living example.
1: So how so. did you do that? How did you, how did you actually learn to love yourself?
0: You know, it, I had to, well, I did a lot of affirmations, and um, affirmations work to a point. Like the law of, quote, attraction works to a point, but there's a, a point where there's the law of allowance, where, you know, you realize it's not really the law of attraction, that your highest idea of, of what you are is actually what you are, and you just need to let that come to you. But it, was, it took a lot of surrender. Um, I find that every time now, every time I feel I have a challenge um, or something feels sl- even slightly agitating, mm-hmm. um, I have to go within and figure out what the heck is going on. Because to me, even to have that slight agitation, it's too much. You know, I've become sort of, Sensitive, where, well, I mean, I've always been sensitive, but I was sort of desensitized before to what I am and who I am. Right. And now that I've been doing this work with myself for the last uh, 10, I don't know, I started in my 20s, um, but, mm-hmm. you know, that, that experience happened um, in my late 20s. And so I've been doing this for probably about 16 years.
1: hmm
0: And um, what I realized was that you know I had to change that but I I have become more sensitive from before being desensitized to what I was actually doing to myself so now right. things become effortless and every time I have a negative thought or have a limiting self-doubt I have to really go within and say okay well here's something we need to to you know address and it's just really looking within and figuring out what's going on and Allowing myself to let go of that limiting belief.
1: Right. Well, for me, it's not so much, um, you know, that that limiting beliefs can't be there, that they shouldn't be there, any of that stuff. I, I try to think of emotion as one, uh, you know, one quadrant of what's really important in our whole sort of understanding. And I think in our culture, especially, we don't really open up to understanding our emotions as deeply as we should Mm -hmm. anger and frustration and all that stuff certainly have a negative side but like everything that's dualistic we there's a very positive side in them too they let us know when our boundaries have been crossed you know uh, frustration and anger let us know when it's time to make change it gives us the energy to uh you know change things that we don't think are right around us and, and that kind of stuff but to your point there's a big wisdom that's important there because everything that upsets us doesn't mean the other thing is wrong you know it might be us in the situation that needs to alter needs to change so awareness of that whole situation yeah. is really important so i think you know again the the underlying concept here is to you know foster some type of awareness in ourselves and sensitivity to how we are what our what our reality is and learn some tools to work with that, you know, and, and soften to some of these things. Because if we're just overwhelmed by anger, obviously that's not productive, obviously that's not good, but to get to the point where you're saying that you're sensitive and that now it's not these overwhelming waves of anger and hatred and whatever, you know, or sadness and depression, it's these little, little itches of them. right Right. that i don't i don't think they ever go away because it's really it's those are those are sort of what define us and sort of relate i mean we can get more and more okay with things but it's not about endlessly feeling good i don't think this experience and being fully enlightened and all that stuff is even about just endlessly feeling good the buddha decided to get up and teach you know he didn't just stay and sit and bliss. he still ate food he still chose do i want to eat this or that right so there's still judgment there's still decision on some level even to whatever level we get to and it's not just about having this endless state experience of happiness but how do we contextualize all these very real emotions that come up for us whether they be anger frustration joy whatever right
0: yeah i guess um i i might have just kind of worded what i was saying in a way that wasn't necessarily understood i don't like, if I if I flip out, I don't judge it. Like, I might flip out, but if I'm feeling an internal agitation, like if something is bugging me, I think there's a difference between just, you know, an immediate reaction to something and, you know, not allowing somebody to cross your, your boundaries or, you know, knowing that somebody has or has tried and being direct. Because I can mm-hmm. be extremely direct, and people don't necessarily like that, but oh well. Um But there's a difference between, you know, saying what's on my mind and doing it immediately and saying it right away and having like this little pestering thing going on. And it's the pestering, you know, the the little scratch, scratch, scratch that can be um, annoying that is what I address. If I um, tell somebody, listen, hey, you know, I don't see things the same way you do, and they flip out and get all upset with me and tell me they're not my friend anymore. I'm just like, oh, well, that's fine with me. Um, and so that can come across as frustration and all of that, but it's always, if, if if I'm okay with it, if I'm like, well, you know, this is the way I feel, then that's fine with me. Um, like, I, I was telling somebody yesterday that before I could um, really awaken or, you know, be where I am right now, um, I had to really claim my, sort of, what I call my inner bitch, and because I always wanted somebody, I always wanted people to like me, and if people perceived me that way, it was like, oh, but no, don't you see, I'm trying to, you know, explain to you that, you know, I care and all of this, and it's like, well, (laughs) who cares, you know, just accept it, that, you know, you come across that way, and, you know, sometimes you are that way, and so what? and then it, it no longer had any power over me. But then I could be who I am, and if I come across as being either too direct or too blunt or too, quote, judgmental um, to somebody else, then that really no longer had any power over who I am.
1: Right. So. Yeah, that makes me think of two things. I mean, that, that really references to me self-love. You were talking about the importance of self-love before, and, and you were realizing that... Um, some of what you perceived about you is more important than what you perceived others right. to perceive about you, which is really a, a sort of, uh, again, problems in our culture include things like codependence and, you know, worrying too much about what the other person is thinking and all that stuff. And I think that's a very normal Um, phase for people to go through. And sadly, most of us never get out of it. Most of us never sort of graduate from being really, really worried about what everybody else is thinking. And so claiming that inner, I'm okay with however I am, is a really healthy sort of, you know, self way to be, you know? Mm -hmm. Right, right. So I think it's interesting that um, some of these things, I want to get back to what the practices might be for people that can actually kind of you know begin to wake up and and uh, to me i imagine somebody who's frustrated and they're interested in learning about this stuff and so they start listening uh to talks like this right and and they want to know you know how do i do that i think there's this different way to be maybe i've experienced that for a little while and i can't hold on to it and i don't know what's different or i went to some yoga retreat and it felt really great and i know i want more of that in my life um do you have any practices that you do is there anything i
0: I actually um i i work i mean i call it working directly with consciousness because i don't believe that i'm separate from that um i've heard there's a an article that joe vitale wrote a while ago um about this doctor named dr len who was a psychiatrist and he went into a there was this this um hospital for the criminally insane and they had a like nobody was happy there like the they couldn't get their employees to, you know, stick around, and, like, all the the psychiatrists kept flipping, you know, the, nobody would stay. Everybody was unhappy. These criminals were shackled, and, you know, they were screaming obscenities all the time, and it was just a horrible place to be and work and, and all of that. And this Dr. Len came in, and he said, I'm not going to see any patients. You know, all I'm going to do is I'm going to take their chart, I'm going to look at the chart, and then I'm going to say, I'm sorry, and I love you. And that, it's called Open Openo, And um, what he did was he addressed whatever was going on with them within himself. You know, his ju- like, not even his judgment, because you don't even have to know what's going on with somebody else. You can have a conversation with someone and leave that conversation not feeling good about it or the, the other person or whatever. And you will perceive that that's, there's something wrong with them. But as one mind... It's always something that you can address within yourself to help that situation. Mm-hmm. So what he did was he would sit there with these charts and say, I'm sorry and I love you, I'm sorry and I love you, I'm sorry and I love you all day long. And then what happened was people started getting better. And people that worked there started staying. And nobody was quitting. These people were getting better. Inmates that were you know, shackled and couldn't have any freedom were unshackled people that were locked up and just couldn't couldn't go anywhere were allowed to go outside and eventually they had to shut the hospital down because they had they were overstaffed and they had no patients and <laughs> it's all because this guy worked on himself by saying I'm sorry, you take responsibility for whatever condition it is that that person holds in place for you. So, like let's say, you know, I'm talking to someone and I feel like, you know, they just don't get it. So, you know if if i i'm feeling that sort of agitation i can go within and say okay you know i'm sorry and i love you and it might occur to me you know a day later that oh you know i was having a superiority complex mm-hmm. and um then it hel- it would help me to let that go because then that thing that i that my ego needed or consciousness was validating in me then can disappear and then that same um energy that was being shown to me from that person that I was feeding into because you know you, you're shown exactly what you need for your further growth, mm-hmm. um, then disappears. It, it's amazing. It just disappears, and things get better and they heal. And it that's one of the the, the tools that I have used um, to help me. You know, get through a lot of this. I mean, there are many, there are many other ones that I use, but that's right. kind of a key one that I that I have used. As so I'm
1: podcast. sorry, and I love you. When you come into some type of conflict with somebody, is yeah. a practice that you use. Mm-hmm. That's great. Do you have any daily practices?
0: Um, I, you know, my daily practices switch. I meditate sometimes. I journal sometimes. It really depends upon, I guess, the flow of what's going on in my life at, mm-hmm. at that moment. Um, there have been times when I've meditated like, you know, an hour a day, um, sometimes like 45 minutes in the morning sometimes, and 45 minutes at night. Um, you know, I've, I've gone through long periods where I've just journaled for hours. Um, and, you know, right now what I'll do is if I go for a walk, um, I used to say, I'm sorry and I love you, if there was something on my mind, and now... I'm getting to a point where life, life is just so great for me that I'm saying thank you and I love you. Mm-hmm. And you know, more and more great stuff. You know what you what you love, what you um, cherish, and what you focus on in your life, you dr- attract more of that to you. So I've been just so grateful for everything in my life right now.
1: And wow, that's um, great. That's great. Have you ever heard of shadow work?
0: No, I, you know, I've heard of it, but I have mm-hmm. no idea what it is.
1: Yeah, it's interesting. Um, You know, one of the things, one of the great additions to uh, the work of consciousness, along with sort of Eastern meditation and all that, in the West, we've done a lot of work in psychology, and you know, people like Jung and Freud and all that have done massive advances in how the human mind works. And one of the Western additions to what's going on up in our heads is this idea of shadow work, and it's really this concept of uh, the fact that I, part of I, can deny part of I. Meaning that, um, if I've grown up and been taught that anger is wrong, maybe I'm very Christian and, and, uh, you know, Jesus was peaceful and we should always be peaceful. Well, if I grow up with the valuation or belief that, uh, anger is not right or that's not something that I do, uh, when natural anger comes up for me, we actually have the tendency to stuff that away and not identify with it. Mm-hmm. And we can actually project it onto other people and we can end up feeling like, I don't know why everybody's mad at me today. Um, so to some degree, a lot of the problems that we end up in, with other people um, end up being this sort of projected shadow stuff, whether we're shadowing good stuff about us, whether we're shadowing jealousy or anger or all these different things. Um, and so there's this really neat process that uh, people in the integral community have, have come up with called the three-two-one process. And it uses different perspectives. It's actually a journaling exercise where you would use different perspectives to try and reintegrate some of that shadowed stuff. And it sounds like the thank you, I love you is a little bit of that. And other people have come up with similar work called perspective work and all that. But what you do, and as a practice, when you get frustrated with some situation, say your spouse or a coworker, you would sit down and take a third-person perspective on that situation, which would mean like a bird's-eye view. You would write about yourself and this other person for, say, ten minutes in a third-person perspective. And you would just describe, you know, if it were about me, I would say, Rob is sitting there, and he's very upset, and he's speaking with Christine, and she seems to be very upset, and they're talking about this. And you just do your best to get out of your first-person perspective of the situation, and you write about it in third person. The second part of it is bringing the situation into a second-person experience, which would mean a dialogue with it. So you would take your own perspective and start to talk in your imagination and in your journaling experience with that other person. And you would start to write, well, I feel like this, right? And now you're owning your side of it. And you would answer for them. You would realize what they say back. Well, this is what they're thinking. Mm -hmm. In doing that, you can start to see different perspectives. You start to see the other person's, uh, you know, where they're coming from a little bit more. You get away from just your side of it. And then the last part is actually taking the other person's perspective fully and so you would imagine that you are the other person having a conversation back with yourself and when you journal about that you end up really owning what you've potentially disowned with that original shadow stuff so if i perceived originally that somebody else was angry with me i might become them and realize that it's some of my own anger and there can be these massive shifts in that and so there's so many little practices that come out of that shadow work, that stuff that psychology has told us is, is great and works. Um, and, you know, it sounds like the thank you, I love you stuff is part of that. It's really taking another perspective. It's taking some responsibility for what's going on in the situation. And, um, you know, that's an interesting practice that I know to work really well. And I do that with some of my clients.
0: Excellent. Yeah. Cool. I've never heard of that before. That's, that's pretty cool. If, when I start yeah, internally again, I'll... I might try some of
1: that. If I Well, I don't know. This is maybe a good time to talk about I I know you have a website and I have a website and I I'd, I'd love to share that cuz I do talks on there and that was a really quick overview of something that's really hard to understand but I've done a whole talk on how to do shadow work and and what the History of it is, what the point of it is, and all that kind of stuff. And so um, my website is fshift.com, which stands for Fundamental Shift. And um, on there are sixty nine seventy talks about conscious evolution, how do we meditate, what are some of these tools that we can use. And I know you have a website as well.
0: Yep, mine is uh, divinewithin.com, and I have workshops on there, courses for um, loving yourself, loving your body, loving your life. I also have a newsletter on there that people could subscribe to and my I have a link to purchase my book and I have forums on there and lots of lots of good stuff blogs and everything
1: That's fantastic. Awesome. So I think it's interesting you kind of you went over uh um, meditation and journaling and you know to me meditation there's a very formal practice of sitting meditation which I do um and when I say formal I don't mean that it's you know it's really yeah tight or anything. I just mean the actual act of sitting and starting to contemplate and work with your mind. But I think people that have any kind of um, you know, higher stage or you know, more ease in their life or more function, uh, you know, I'd call it enlightenment, whatever. Um, if we're walking around and we have that, I think these people meditate all the time or at least they, they're a little bit more aware of what's going on. They're a little bit more introspective and I think that awareness is what allows us some of the skills and abilities to deal with life in a much, at a much higher level. Does that make sense at all? Yeah, I, mean, is I would, that something I would that's agree with that. Which is probably yeah.
0: why I've kind of dropped the journaling and the meditation. Right. Um, because it's more of a things come more quickly. Like if, when you're present, you can recognize something going on much more quickly than if you wait until you know your meditation time. Right. Or whenever, so, whatever you do.
1: Sure. And it's not so much waiting to, like, work on an issue um, necessarily. I mean, meditation is really, it's a very joyful thing as well. I mean, it's just, it can be just fun, you know. Um, But what's, what's interesting is I think that part of this is, again, it's not so much about state experience, it's really about this stage evolution. So if we talk about healthy stage development, you know, a child originally is very dependent on its family, but eventually it needs to go out into the world and be an adult. And there's, if you imagine two different people, one person that at 26 is still really mad at his parents because of stuff that they did when he was 18 or 19 and leaving the house, that's not a healthy stage development. That person is still in some type of, you know, in their late 20s and some adolescent uh, you know, issue. And then you have somebody else who's in there maybe even early or mid or late 20s that's very healthy, had as many problems at 19 as the other person did, but now has a great friendship with their parents and you know, all, all that stuff. Those are two very different experiences, and one I would say is a healthy stage development into adulthood, and the other one is an unhealthy stage development into adulthood. I think learning some of these tools about how to work with our mind makes all these stage developments a lot easier.
0: hmm
1: is yes. that um I mean, does that make sense? Is that a good it example totally makes of
0: sense it yeah makes it, it's taking responsibility again. It's right. going back to you know recognizing that, hey, you know, this is my life too, you know, and like in the in the, in the adolescent um you know to late twenty year old example, um in your twenties, you're an adult, you know, whether you want to admit that or not, and you're equally responsible for everything that has happened. And even, you know, as a child, not to say that a child is, is responsible for the things that, that an adult, quote, does to them, but as you grow up, if you harbor that resentment and refuse to address it and play the blame game, then you're just stuck, and mm-hmm. you, you can't grow, and it right, will well, improve it's, one to address that.
1: Yeah, it's sort of like, you know, how much do you want to play the victim card? I think right. it takes a long time to learn. At first, when we when we are victims, and we all are victims on some level, when when that happens to us, we get some power out of having a victim story about that. Mm-hmm. And we all have victim in us. You know, most of our stories are about being a victim you know if you listen to people in the workplace and at the store and all that there most of us are reporting how we've been wronged you know it's almost like how tough we are like oh (laughs) and then i lost my parking space and then the insurance guy (laughs) called and i'm not going to get this you know there's like these endless sort of i'm a victim thing and so we all have that persona within us you know it's a real thing but how heavily we identify with it uh is really important and i think it's funny to see that when we stop really identifying with that, we start getting much more empowered and it really holds us back. And until we realize that, I mean, that's a huge shift in mind as far as I'm concerned. It's a very almost adolescent thing to do too. You know, we start off in school and my parents this, and they didn't let me do that and and all that. Once we grow up, we start saying, well, yeah, that kind of happens to everybody. That's, you know, we're all victims. And so I'm not going to identify so heavily with that, but I know people in their fifties, forties, sixties, whatever, It still really resonate with that. Can you believe it? And then the gas company called and they want to blah, blah, you know, and it's just <laughs> everything is this horrible, you know, horrible situation and poor them. And yeah. somewhere along the line, they got power out of being a victim. They got attention. They got something. And if their mind doesn't realize that that deeply holds them back and that, that they need to drop that in some sense and identify with another persona, right, of them, you know, of their identity, then they're going to, they're going to be held back and it's sort of sad, you know. Yeah. But, um, but I think when, you know, the overarching theme here is teachers need to be able to teach all these different levels. And so when I meet somebody who's 50 and is still really deeply identified in a victim consciousness, I know that there's things that I might be teaching them that I would be teaching to a 16-year-old too, you know, because they never really learned that skill.
0: Yes. Something I've also learned is that there um, with the victim-bully dynamic because, you know, that was part of my, a really huge part of my growth process was that there are really no bullies and there are really no victims. All victims are bullies and all bu- bullies are victims. Um, and we draw the the line in the kitty litter where the, um, quote, bully might have a really tough exterior and you can't get through that shell. That person has been so, you know, they're so absorbed in their own victimhood that they're afraid to let anybody see how vulnerable they might be. So I I either read or heard, I think I read an an article a little while ago, I think this past week about some school somewhere and they want to outlaw bullies in this school. And it's like, Well, you know, that's all fine and dandy, but you as the um, administrators, saying, we don't want any bullies in our school, isn't that bullying behavior?
1: Well, and it's also a huge disservice. I mean, we talked before about um, pain being an amazing tool, right? Mm -hmm. And if we we take away all the pain, the the parents that bumper their children, you know, that put bumpers around their children everywhere are doing a great disservice because life will eventually bring a bully your way. Life will eventually uh, hit your town with a tsunami or something you know i mean it may not be the the person behavior that ends up being this hard thing that we have to deal with it could be just you know ecological there's any level we can be sort of damaged on so it's, you know, you can't outlaw bullies. That just, that won't work um, and because life will bring other bullies or other issues for you to deal with, you know, or just uh, constraining things. I mean, that could be so traumatic that it, this place is so vanilla that, you know, all the kids want to freak out and have a little bad around them, you know, which is pretty natural, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I, I think what's funny is you said there are no bullies and there are no victims another way to say that if you Taoist, we sort of referenced before we're all bullies and we're all victims right right? we all have that stuff so there's not anyone that's just a bully you know and there's not anybody that's just a victim we all have these different uh personas that shine however brightly you know within us um but yet, dealing with them healthily is is i think one of the most important things Yes. some of the practices that we were talking about I, you know i think it's interesting uh, more and more we're coming back to this importance of working with our minds and i want to make for people that don't know what that means uh, a little bit more you know have some language around it and one thing is is that if we do have this victim identity and we keep beating ourselves up and why is everybody against me and all that kind of stuff um one of the things i think is interesting is how do we put good thoughts into our mind and most of us think we have to win against these bad thoughts we have to out argue them we have to figure something out and that's really not true all we need to do is sort of place good thoughts in and you were talking about affirmations mm-hmm. and uh, to me i think the power of questions are really important because it gets our mind dynamically involved if we're uh saying aspirations like i'm wonderful or i feel good those are those can work and they're they're powerful on some level but i think questions are really more interesting because they get us dynamically involved. Um, In my bathroom, I actually have a sign that says, what are you going to do today that matters? And, you know, some days that's just in the background. I don't even notice it. I'll go in and it just, you know, I'm busy or something else happens. And then whenever I see it and I really notice that I've seen it, I try and do the practice of actually answering that question. Mm -hmm. And it recontextualizes my day. In, in a really profound way. And it, it might sound silly and, oh, affirmations are, you know, fruity or whatever. But, you know, what are you going to do today that matters is a question that when I try and answer it, it, I don't then just go about my day doing mundane things. I really try and make that day about something that matters, you know, in a big way. Um, so things like that, things like a gratitude practice where we would actually sit down and say, what am I thankful for? Yeah. You know, that can really put a big dig in the record groove of a victim mentality. You know, if it's like, I'm horrible and everything sucks and everybody's against me and all that, and then it's like, well, what am I grateful for? What do I like about myself? Those kinds of questions can be really, really powerful.
0: Something do you have any also, kind of experience with that? Uh, yes. I, I, I was going to say something that I also found um, is a tool that I that I discovered when I had my revelation and I just, Started recording everything that I had just gone through um, when I was dancing around my living room was um, that if I would write down everything, if I wrote down all of my traits, my good traits and my bad traits, you know, my perceived good traits and bad traits, and just look at them from an objective point of view and say, okay, well, you know, is being quote fat a bad thing? No, not necessarily. It just is what it is, and if you can look at all of that and look at it from an objective point of view and then accept it. Say, you know what, yeah, I have these thoughts about myself, yes. So it's acknowledging and then accepting whatever it is that um, is going on. And I think that's part part of your your question thing, too, is, you know, okay, How it's, it's, again, taking responsibility um, for whatever is going on in your life. And um, if we can, you know, do that, question ourselves what what do i feel about me how do i feel about me and how is that serving me then it can be a very powerful tool because then you can say oh you know look at what my look at what i'm thinking right and you can change it
1: I am dying to jump on that and talk, and I, I don't want to interrupt you, but that's, <laughs> I, I think that's a really that's a really important point that you just sort of made even more clear for me. So I, I'm sitting here, and I know the power of questions, and then what you just said is big, because this is the beginning of working with our mind. People who are like, I've tried to meditate, and I sit, and it stinks, and I don't like it, and I don't know what I'm even doing there, right, and my mind just keeps talking, and I can't quiet down, and so I'm not going to do that anymore, When we start asking ourselves questions, that is the beginning of introspection. That is the beginning of, why do I feel this way? Why am I thinking this? Those kinds of things, when we actually sit and do the work to answer those questions, it's not just, you don't just ask and then walk away. I don't just look at this thing on the wall and say, what am I going to do today that matters? And don't answer it and walk away. That's not as powerful as sitting and saying, hold on, let me answer that. You know, like, up oh, today it's most important to do a great talk with Carrie, you know, or today it's really important that I write an article or whatever. Um, if, we, if somebody's sitting there just beginning to ask the questions of, why am I so unhappy, you know, or what can I do to be more happy if we want to frame it in the positive – those things become the beginning of introspection, and that is the beginning of of tipping the scale over to, okay, I'm going to be one of these people that works with my mind. Mm
0: -hmm. And people that work
1: with their mind are more aware, they're more capable, and, you know, this is what we should be teaching our kids, really, Mm -hmm. you know?
0: Yeah. And it's not even necessarily having to do work, because when you say work with your mind, people think, oh, you know, this, like, grueling process. It's really just acknowledging what's going on, because mind will take care of itself, but we hide ourselves from ourselves, if, if that's even possible. You know, we, we we disown, really, is what it is, parts of ourselves. Yeah. And by disowning it, and, sh- and as you had said earlier, kind of shoving it down and kind of, you know, covering it up, saying, oh, I don't want anybody, I don't want to acknowledge that, and I don't want anybody else to see it, um, then it can't be brought out to the light. Like, if, it's, if you've got something hidden away in a closet, and, you know, it stinks, um, if you... Just keep the dust closet door closed, and you know you've got a pile of, you know, cow dung sitting in there. It's still mm-hmm. going to sink. Right. Know? However, if you open the door and bring it out to the light, and like bring it outside, maybe fertilize your yard or do whatever you right, want to do. Right. With that, right. Right. Well, you know, I, I, going- I,
1: I'm sorry. I keep I keep jumping on All you right. talking, but I think it's. It's interesting that, you know, I'm not, I'm not and I don't at all disagree with you. I think it is important to say that it's not work. And for me, work has become fun in my life and in all, in all the ways that word means. So, you know, that's what's meaningful to me. So work is not a bad thing necessarily. But I do want to go back and sort of say that to me, some of this work can be really hard and some of this work can be difficult. And that's kind of why there's a prize at the end. It's not easy and most people don't choose to do it. Yeah. And the other distinction or word that I would choose about that stuffing down and all that, that almost sounded like we do that consciously. We don't even know we do that, right? Like a lot of this is from disconnect. A lot of this is just waking up and really not knowing. Nobody gave us really a great instruction manual. Sometimes we have great parents and most times we don't because our parents don't know what they're doing and most of them are broken. And so we end up with all kinds of beliefs that may or may not be true about how this world is, and our beliefs really contextualize our reality. And so, so many people are bumping into other people with conflicting values, conflicting beliefs, not getting along, all this stuff, and we're disconnected. We have no idea how to wake up from that. And I think what, you know, I'm so excited that we sort of found in this talk is that the first step to that is beginning to sort of say, what's wrong, what's going on here, and then answering those questions, you know?
0: Yes. I just had a thought, and I just lost it, too.
1: It's okay. The, the the other thing that I I know that I wanted to talk about and bring up here is sort of the power of visualization, and and that's a very trendy thing now, and it's something that lots of stuff like uh, The Secret talks about a little bit, and all these all these other things. But there's that's a no nonsense, really important thing. If we're talking about walking around and being very disconnected on this planet, the choice of saying what do I want, who am I, that is the act of starting to visualize what you do want, right? And so That really contextualizes who we are, what we value, what we're about. And so coming up with empowering visions about what our work life should look like, what our friendships should look like, what our romantic relationships should look like, what our parenting and being a family member should look like. um, Doing that work can be really powerful and really moving for some people. And so another practice, as I throw air quotes at that, you know, our practices are to sit down and actually regularly do some visualizing about what do I want, not just stewing desires right? right because people are like i know what i want i want a car and i want a house and i want all this stuff but they don't really visualize the whole thing kind of put together yeah, those to are more it tendencies
0: to it kind of
1: thing. Yeah, yeah yeah um and then taking that visualizing uh, visualization and putting concrete goals underneath well how do i t- achieve that you know if i want that job i need to actually write a new resume and i need to actually do these other things and so um You know, my work, I feel like, is taking spirituality and making it very real for people. And it's like, well, how is making a new resume spiritually fulfilling? Mm -hmm. Well, if you're not doing the right job, and every day you're going in and spending all these waking hours in this place that's not right for you, then, you know, you're not really doing your spirit's calling. You're not doing, you know, what you're here to do uh, necessarily. So it all kind of falls into that.
0: You know, uh, to address that, and then I remembered what I I was going to say before – um, I found that as long as I just keep my eye on where I'm going, kind of like a giraffe, you know, mm-hmm. a, a giraffe comes to mind. And it's funny because um, I was once—that's that, a power animal of mine—that I found like because
1: it's uh, got a huge neck. Why? Well, <laughs> Why is it, is a it's
0: far away. It, uh, sees, okay. it sees the distance. You know what's up in the distance, but it doesn't necessarily notice the menacing, you know, rodent mm. by its foot. Mm-hmm. Um, and it, what I find is that I just keep my thoughts in alignment with where I perceive I'm going, what I perceive I'm doing, and everything else sort of falls into place. And like if I feel like, say for example, creating that video that I created um, to go on, to go along with my book, I sat there for a week and, for two two to three weeks just creating this amazing video, and it's because that's what I wanted to do. Mm -hmm. Um, And so in in that, knowing what my goal is, everything else just sort of falls into place. And it's not that it doesn't take any, you know, sort of resume writing, but then that becomes a joy in doing it. It's like, oh, okay, I feel like sitting down and writing my resume. Um, I find that if I'm trying to accomplish something um, and I'm forcing myself to do something, then I feel like I'm out of alignment. Mm -hmm. and. You know, I'm, just, I'm, I'm doing what I think I should do instead of, you know, what should actually be done. Um, but if I just allow myself to be open to whatever it is that feels like must be done in that moment, then things just seem to uh, go much more effortlessly. Yeah. And another thing I wanted to address was you talked about, um, you know, pretty much the truth hurts. And, um, you know, how it is painful to go through this. And very much, I completely agree with that. Um, and I guess that's where my, my practice of the whole open-openo oh, and things like that come in. Because um, when, you know, we feel whatever, you know, agitation, frustration it is, it's generally, for me, it's an ego block. You know, it's me thinking that everything is not perfect and me thinking that there's something wrong with whatever's going on, and me feeling like I need to be in control of something. Mm -hmm. And um, I've come to the realization that Carrie is in control of of nothing. You know, it's Carrie's mind, or the mind of consciousness, the mind of God, whatever you want to call that thing that is all. Mm -hmm. Um, That is, you know, the thing that's that's driving the, the car. Yet, my highest idea, Carrie's highest idea, is not sourced in Carrie. It's sourced from the mind of consciousness. So, you know, Carrie's highest idea is also the highest idea for Carrie within consciousness. So if I just allow myself to align with that, then um, things go smoothly. But when my limitations get in the way, it's kind of like my, where, where my beliefs and where um, my higher self, if you want to call it that, my God self, Want to, wants to go, where they intersect, that's where my challenges happen.
1: Mm-hmm. So
0: it's releasing my limiting thought of whatever the situation might be um, and allowing whatever is to be that um, allows for the, the freedom of who I am to come through and for right. me to, to feel liberated. Because, yes, I do run into conflict and I do run into you know, challenges, Yet I realize that it's only perceived as it's not an actual challenge; it's a, per, a perceptual challenge. And once I can let go of my identification with Carrie as a body, as you know, being in control of anything, um, then things can move more, more swiftly, more um, easily. However, the truth. Is what hurts because I have all of these. I'll have these belief systems that are holding everything in place, and I don't want to let go of that because if I let go of that, that means you know perhaps to my ego that I'm letting go of part of what I am that right. I'm not.
1: So that's um, really that's really surrender work. I think it's it's is that kind of what you're saying that when you know when you bump up against what your ego really wants, and all of a sudden the world says no, that's not going to be it right now, yeah. and there's a challenge. It's really this this art of learning that that frustration that arises there is really an awakening bell to say I need to surrender a little bit here and just take a deep breath and kind of sit back and say it might not be my plan right now and kind of that might be time to reconnect with what is my plan, right? Like, mm-hmm. does this really support what I'm doing or did I get off on some really egoic trip here? Right. Um, you know, you talk a lot about effortlessly, And I I think it's really interesting, and I've just done, I just did a a couple of talks here in Philadelphia, public talks that people came to about values clarification, and I think it's interesting when we talk about this effortless thing. I think a lot of people who begin to teach some of this stuff talk about it becoming effortlessly, and I I think I've found an interesting way that, that that can happen for people, and it's really working again with what are what do you care about what are your desires and in what way do they conflict Mm -hmm. so that we can end up aligning our values and getting really clear on what we care about you you talked before about having um self-image issues around weight and stuff i work with people who want to lose weight sometimes as part of their you know what they'd like to change in their life and if i ask them you know why do you want to lose 20 pounds what is that about a lot of times they'll answer well It's because I want to feel better in the morning. You know, I want to wake up and feel better. And I immediately challenge that because that that may be the case, but a lot of times it's actually because they want to look better, Mm -hmm. right? It's usually around self-image and all that. But so many of us have this idea that vanity is wrong. Mm -hmm. So what happens there is you have a person who wants to look better, but yet they have this belief that vanity is wrong. And so they have this really internal conflict of what their values are. They value being not vain, right? Right. But yet they value looking better. And so that clash really makes it hard to make the right decisions about the cupcake. And it makes it really hard to make the right decisions about whether they're going to get to the gym or not. And so how does that become effortless? It becomes this introspection of what do I care about and why and then challenging that. And so if you expose that for somebody and just say, I think you have a value conflict between vanity and health, right? Or, Or losing weight. Um, they can say, oh, I see that. And then there's a little bit more honesty. There's a little bit more authenticity in them. And you've outed sort of a conflicting value belief. And so my premise there in my talk was that any system that has conflicting values ends up – dysfunction ends up arising. So dysfunction arises in systems that have conflicting values. And if that system is the self, you see things like work-life balance. Problems, you know, They love their home life, and, uh, but they really want to succeed at work. And when those values aren't clear to them, which is most important, when there's a call on the phone that they have to do work one night and it's Timmy's soccer game, they have this real conflict. Dysfunction arises and life isn't effortless anymore. But if they've made it really clear to themselves and others... Um, you know what's most important? Then they know. No, it's Timmy's soccer game that comes first, and there's an effortlessness around what their choices and behavior needs to be. But systems aren't just self. Systems are the world too. If you think about value conflicts in the world, you know we end up with the Iraq War. You know we have different value uh, systems uh, on the world level, and that fights on a national level. It would be like red versus blue states having different values and having them clash and having dysfunction from that. Mm-hmm. so i think that's an overarching idea that the work is that we need to sort of align what our values are and if we're unclear unaware of what they are it's not an effortless life that ends up having all kinds of conflicts right but as we yeah. align them
0: yeah it and becomes more clear aligning it too um if you can align your thoughts first then all the other stuff you know like what i was saying before like for example i go to the gym a lot mm-hmm. and um I started going, well, I mean, I've sort of, you know, been active my whole life because I've I've had, you know, these self-image issues. Mm -hmm. And I did a program called the Love Your Body Program. And in that program, I helped people to align with, I love my body now, as it is now. You know, not tomorrow, not, you know, 20 years ago, I love my body now. And then from that, from that program, it was a 30-day program, you know, I was like, you know, I've been walking around and, you know, going through walks in my neighborhood and stuff like that, and, you know, I haven't really been a part of a gym for a long time, but now I love myself, and I want to go to the gym, and that kind of creating the, the thought first of, you know, I do love myself, then created the effortless portion for me in actually you know getting my butt out of bed and going to Mm -hmm, to the gym mm -hmm.
1: but what if that's not true what if i don't love my body now you know what if that's just not true for me
0: well then um
1: do you do sort sort of the inner work do you plant do you plant that as well you you need you need to love your body now first
0: well what i what i did was i was doing this program for all these other people you know for myself but you know all these other people were joining me in it because i was i did a um like a beta for this this program, mm-hmm. and so in doing that, I you know had to dedicate myself to the practice myself and in dedicating myself to that practice, you know your your thoughts change, and um once I started doing that and getting into that groove, you know more and more things started happening. I started like craving like it's ridiculous because I'll crave salad it's like I, I crave balsamic vinegar, yeah. and it's ridiculous, but you know it's true. And um you know I I want to go to the gym and you know I I want to eat you know healthy things so and my my chocolate consumption has you know drastically reduced right and it's just because yes. of what is going on and it's just, interesting you know, we have 10 I've minutes
1: yeah i lost if we only have two minutes we should probably wrap up but it's funny i lost a lot of weight and i spent a lot of time at the gym too i lost like 65 or 70 pounds and um you know live a very different life today than i used to and it's it's interesting that um that those things do naturally kind of switch over and we do start preferring things that are healthier for us and, and all that stuff but if we just have a couple more minutes i wanted to sort of wrap up and go over some of the things we talked about, I think one of the overarching concepts is that we both agree that it's really important that in some way we begin to work with our mind. Mm-hmm. And some of the things I know I mentioned were, you know, gratitude practice and learning to meditate in some way and using visualization. Uh, you talked about, I'm sorry, I love you, and that turning into thank you, I love you. Mm-hmm. Um, and you said you did some meditation and some journaling, and that brought us to sort of shadow work and, uh, you know, and what that is. Um, we talked about the power of questions and the importance of learning to surrender and how we can find these things effortlessly comes from sort of aligning our values. So we really went over a ton of stuff here. This is like a cookbook (laughs) for, for, uh, you know, how to evolve or how to, how to heal in, in some sense. Um, So anyway, this has been great for me. I really appreciate it.
0: Thank you very much. And why don't you say your, your website again?
1: Sure. Again, my name is Rob Scott and my, uh, my business is called Fundamental Shift, and I have a website at fshift.com. And on there is my podcast that's free to everybody, and it's got tons and tons of talks about how to do this stuff and uh, you know, what the tools are and important things that we can think about.
0: Great. And I'm Carrie Cannon, and um, my book is called Uncovering the Divine Within. And my website is uh, www.divinewithin.com. And um, we've got about one more minute left. And so I would just really like to thank you, Rob, for um, joining me here today. And this was just a, a great talk. I really appreciate this. It was probably the best talk I've done. Oh,
1: so, thank you very much. That yeah. feels great to hear. I, I don't know. I just uh, I haven't done too many interviewing things. I was recently, uh, just the other day, interviewed on a, on a podcast here owned by the Daily News in, in Philadelphia here. And, uh, and so maybe I'll... Start doing more interviews with people, and maybe you and I I will work more together in the future.
0: It was a really great experience. Great. Thank you very much, Rob, and you just have a fantastic day.
1: Thank you, and everybody else do the same. Thank you. Bye-bye.